Please open your Bibles with me as we will read from the New Testament, Paul's first letter to Timothy. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let us hear God's holy and inspired word. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying of, on of the hands of eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourselves entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So far, the reading of God's Word. I want to draw your attention uh, to our text passage, which is to be found in 7b, 8, and 9. 1 Timothy 4, 7b, 8, and 9. Exercise yourself toward godliness, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. So far then, the reading of God's holy word, and the reading of our text. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
One of the first things that we will notice when we come from the country into a city is that there are so many people who are so gung-ho on, on jogging, on jogging. They will go from street to street, and, and some of them in, 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 in little groups, and larger groups even, and they, they've got the jogging fever, and they just keep on doing this, and they will pass your house, and they will, they will come by you in the morning, and in the afternoon, and sometimes in the evening, and they're all caught up in this, this, this health, health kick, so to speak, and, and, and just wanting to, to, to jog day and night pretty well. Well, with, with dog determination, they will do this, and um, they will do it because they feel that they have to. They, they just feel constrained. They have to do this. Now, as such, there's nothing wrong with, with jogging or with doing physical exercises, uh, especially in this day and age when many of us uh, have a job where you either stand in one place or you sit in one place. Uh, it is good to be concerned about your health and about your shape. Regular exercise program is therefore a recommended thing for many people, young and old as well. I, uh, I'm being a bit older than some of you. Uh, I, I can sense that, yes, it is necessary to, uh, to exercise. Now, however, you wonder sometimes if people have nothing else to do but to exercise. And when you see them jogging past your house morning, noon, and night, as if their very life depends on it. Is that all they have to do? Now, I'm using this example of exercising and the necessary aspect of exercising as an example to show you the determination which people have nowadays to keep the body in shape through rigorous bodily exercise. And I want to use that example, and our text uses that example, in fact, as to what it means for you and me to engage in bodily, no, godly exercise, exercising towards godliness. And that is really what we want to consider. So more than bodily exercise, it is of utmost necessity, dear people, utmost necessity, and it is of profit as well, as I hope to explain that to you, to exercise towards godliness. So therefore, as... On the basis of our text, let us then hear about the call to exercise toward godliness. In the first place, much like bodily exercise. Secondly, more profitable exercise. And then thirdly, more most promising exercise. Most promising exercise. Now, congregation, in several of his letters, the Apostle Paul, when he wants to describe godliness to you and to me, he will use the example of an athlete. And young people, I think uh, this, this should uh, uh, cause you to listen carefully because many of you are into athletics, and, and it's good to engage in that. And so the Apostle Paul, he also uh, uses some examples of what it means to be an athlete, one who engages in various sports activities. Now, Paul compares himself 
and he compares his own godliness to running a race, particularly. You can read of that in Philippians 2 and verse 16, where he says, I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Now, I should tell you that the gymnasium and the stadium were very familiar places for people in New Testament times. The Greeks especially were fond of such places and had at least one gymnasium in each village while the stadium was found in many of the larger cities. Each day, the boys and the young men would go to such a gymnasium. They would strip down and work out vigorously, engaging in bodily exercises, or as our text uh, speaks of it, in bodily gymnastics. They would then train their bodies, they would then tone their muscles, and they would sharpen their reflexes so that they would be good contestants for any of the Olympic Games that would be held in the stadium in the city. And you can almost picture this, such an event, in, in a Greek stadium when you read, for instance, Hebrews 12 and verse 1. And I quote, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now it is striking, the Apostle Paul, who was such a scholar, and he was such a, a fervent and godly preacher, could still see some value and show interest in bodily exercises, in athletics, and in gymnastics. Now, why? Why would the Apostle Paul refer to bodily exercises here in our text that we have before us? Well, I believe for two reasons at least. One, it should be remembered that bodily exercise does have some value. It does have some value. Two, Speaking of bodily exercises provides a very good pattern for the exercises towards godliness. And I hope to explain that in more detail. Paul also calls his, this particular exercise, this exercise towards godliness, he calls it gymnastics. That's actually, if you could read a little bit of Greek, you would notice that word gymnastics is right there. It's a good example to use, therefore, explaining what exercises towards godliness should be like for you and for me. Gymnastics. A man or woman, a boy or girl, who claims to be born-again believer must know about this kind of gymnastics towards godliness, as I hope to show you. And therefore, the Apostle Paul speaks elsewhere about various activities in these gymnastics, running a race, competing in athletics, competing for the prize, beating through boxing, and wrestling, and bearing, and straining. And when Paul speaks that way, he is speaking about how you and I, how we should strain in our spiritual exercises towards godliness. In the same way, the same way. You see, Godliness is not something that easily and automatically falls into our lap. It does not. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul 
as a born-again believer, says of himself, and you can read of that in Philippians 3, verses 12 and 14, not that I have attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold for which Christ has also laid hold of me. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. And so there's a goal that he presses on towards, you see. Godliness. I mean that by that, by daily godly conduct and by our daily walk of life, it does not come natural to you and to me, to a believer. Sometimes people think, well, as long as I get myself born again and saved, all oh, the rest will, will come as well. Well, it is true, it is true that the new birth is vital. The new birth, dear people, young people, the new birth is basic. It is foundational. It is fundamental. How more can I say it? There is where we must start, you see. Without being born again, we can never hope to attain to any kind of true godliness. And this is why the Lord Jesus Christ, early on in his public ministry, told a religious Nicodemus, who was a teacher of religion, that he must be born again before he could actually see the kingdom of God. You can read of that in John chapter 3. Without the new birth, therefore, from above, and the Spirit working it in us, no exercise will achieve anything towards godliness. Which means, of course, that we must not put the cart before the horse, so to speak. To say it plain and simple, good works won't do it. Good works won't do it. Getting baptized won't do it. Having your name down as a church member, won't do it. As Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. There is first, that must be first in salvation. And if any of us here are not yet born again, I urge you, with great compassion, I urge you, turn to God in prayer for this. Tell him that this is your greatest need, you see, and plead with him that he will have mercy upon you, a sinner. Go to him. Speak to him about that. But now, as a preacher of the gospel, I may not leave you with the impression that nothing more than is necessary after you are born again. You must not assume that after the saving work of the Holy Spirit to get you born again, godliness will, well, it will come automatically and naturally. No, it won't. It won't. When you have come to spiritual life, God at the same time comes with his call to you and to me. And he does that also through our text that we have before us this afternoon, that we are called to start exercising toward godliness. A born-again man or woman, boy or girl, will need to go on a spiritual exercise program in order to learn how godliness may be achieved for ourselves. And this 
God-fearing conduct and walk of life has to be put into practice. It will require exercise, therefore, much like the exercise of any athlete in this world. This means that you must have a certain goal of godliness in mind, and you must have that in mind all the time that you are exercising. As a coach encourages his young athletes by telling them, this is the goal, spare no effort, go for it. That is what Paul does here with our text. And so must I, as a preacher of the word, encourage you towards the goal of godliness. That is the goal, you see, dear believer. Spare no effort. Go for godliness. And so, dear people, godliness must be the goal of everyone who is born again. Anything less than that would mean that you're cheating yourself and dishonoring him who has called you to save, to be saved. This means that your, your exercise towards godliness is much like bodily exercise. Really, it is. There must be it must be done with determination. It must be done with all of your energies. And it must be done consistently. This means that it will require your time, you see. It will require sacrifices. It will bring some pains even. I just finished reading a, narr a, a biography of John Newton. And boys and girls, young people, he is the one that has given us amazing grace. Well, John Newton... And it's not all that well known, but, but he taught that godliness comes in slow ways. It doesn't come too quickly. We need to work on that. And, and this slow way is the way in which we may learn more and more on how to live a godly life. Godliness comes in a slow way, John Newton. Anyway, uh, at the same time, it will require sacrifices, as I said already, and it will bring some pains. But don't, don't let that make you afraid. Don't let that scare you off or, or discourage you, because the Apostle Paul tells us, as we must consider this in the second place, such exercise towards godliness is a more profitable exercise. A more profitable exercise. Well, as I indicated to you already, uh, exercise, bodily exercise, profits a little. It has some profit. It promotes health, it promotes strength, and it promotes mental agility as well and alertness. And this is true particularly for the young because it provides innocent recreation and a good escape vent for their bursting energies. But it is true also for the elderly. In my studies recently, I read an article from the Banner of Truth magazine. And the author addressed the elderly in that particular article, and he wrote, and I quote, The passing of the years inevitably lessens physical strength and mental agility. A healthy lifestyle, exercise, and regular mental activity may slow these effects and God may grant strength beyond our years, end of quote. 
But the exercise towards godliness has all that profit as well. All of that. Much more profit. In fact, as the Apostle Paul tells us, godliness is profitable for all things. A-L-L. All things. And I underline that. All things. And dear people, here it is in black and white. Straight out of the Word of God, isn't it? The exercise towards godliness is profitable for all things. It will benefit you in every way, in other words. It will profit you to exercise yourself towards godly conduct and towards a godly walk of life. It will profit you. It will be of benefit to you. The benefit, this profit, will show up in every part of your life. Because as our text says it, godliness is profitable for all things. It will show up in your health. It will show up in your work. It will show up in your relations with others. And I could name a whole list of other areas where exercise towards godliness would be profitable. But let me just use three examples. Three examples. Exercising yourself towards godliness will not be harmful towards your health. It will promote good care of your bodies. Your bodies. My body. That means, and now I may have to say something that people wonder, should that even be said, but let me say it nevertheless. It means that godliness will not allow you to mistreat your body by mutilating sex change surgeries. Godliness will not permit you to engage or to request that you would uh, have euthanasia at a certain time in your life or that you would engage in the practice of suicide. Godliness will not allow a mother with a child in her womb to request abortion. Godliness would not allow that because it is against the word of God. And so, when we exercise such godliness, it will help you to understand these things as to what is happening in this world. It is dreadful what is happening in this world, but the world doesn't know what godliness is about anymore. But it will help you and me to cope with our difficulties, with our problems, with our illnesses, with our weaknesses, with our frailty. We know, of course, that believers can also get ill. Yes, believers can get sick. But then the exercise towards godliness will lift you up, it will encourage you, and it will give you that hidden strength to cope with your sickness or your weakness or your frailty, which the unbeliever knows no part of. Doctors and nurses, they will tell you, if they are honest, that it is far more easy, it is far easier and far more hopeful to be at the bedside of a godly person than at the bedside of an ungodly person. The fear of God and the exercise towards godliness will look good on you. This past week and a number of weeks before, I had the privilege of visiting a young lady, I believe she's about 18, 19 years old, with uh, spinal cord injuries. All she could do was move her hand and her neck. 
but she loved the Lord God. And it was hopeful for her to continue to look to him. And it was good that I could encourage her to keep looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. And she had a smile on her face and a glint in her eyes. And it was a joy to visit her, a joy to visit her. And so the fear of God is very important as we exercise towards godliness. And that is particularly for any of them, anyone here who needs to cope with illness. Your exercise towards godliness will make your illness more bearable. How so? Because you will experience that in the deepest trials, the Lord will give his Holy Spirit as a comforter for you. Literally, as one who will stand at your side at all of your difficulties. The exercise towards godliness has never yet brought any harm to anyone's health, dear people. And that is not something that can be said of any who exercise ungodly ways. And so, dear people, are you in such exercise towards godliness, whether you are sick or healthy, whether you are elderly or young? It is profit for your health. Well, now, the same thing can be said that it is profitable for your work. Exercising towards godliness will be profitable for us as we engage in our daily work, whatever we might do. It means that it will keep you from being lazy. It means that godliness or the exercise towards godliness will keep you from those nasty temptations to cut corners or to escape duties or to do some shoddy work. Godliness or the exercise towards it won't allow you to do that, you see. Just let me give you one example from North American history. And I know that in some universities and colleges, history is called bunk, and so it's not worth anything anymore. But I do believe that history is worth very much because we can learn from history. And here is a little bit of history from what has happened in North America. Several centuries ago, the most welcome immigrants into North America were those of Calvinist, God-fearing background. Why? Because such people were known to be reliable people, hardworking, and devoted to their task. They were known to do good work, quality work, and work that they could be proud of. This was known as, and here you have it, as the Calvinist work ethic. The Calvinist work ethic. I'm sure that there are many teachers presently who have never heard of it anymore but it is the Calvinist work ethic. Again, such exercise of Calvinist work ethic towards godliness is that still known amongst us, you and me. Then, how about the, the exercise towards godliness in respect to our relationship with others? Well, that may take some time. That may take some time. Just keep the idea of a person working out in a gymnasium in mind. It's not all fixed in one day. Are we exercising ourselves toward developing a godly character? A character that can get along with other people. A character that 
can be of help and can be of encouragement to other people? Are we exercising to be patient and to be kind and to be loving towards each other? Not always easy, but are we exercising it? Have we learned to be humble and esteem others better than, than ourselves, as the Apostle Paul explains this in Philippians 2, verse 3? Have we learned to practice self-control, become slow to anger, and engage in temper management? Have we learned to forgive others as the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven us? Have we developed that element of carefulness in listening to others and seeing their point of view? You see, these are just some of those examples of what it means to exercise towards godliness in our relationships, particularly in our relationships as husband and wife, as young persons to parents, and parents to young persons. This calls for hard work and hard workouts because those things, they don't come natural to us, do they? Well, now you say, yeah, I've heard all of that now, and this sounds fine, but is that what exercising toward godliness is really all about? Taking care of your body, working an honest living, living in harmony with others? To me, so the person will say, to me it seems rather superficial, a bit on the surface. It's all horizontal. Shouldn't the main exercise towards God is be vertical, me in relationship to the Lord? Shouldn't I first exercise growth in the fear and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and that unbended knees reading an open Bible? Well, I will respond, true, true. Because right after our text, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, we trust in the living God, verse 10. And that, dear people, should be our primary, primary exercise. Depend, therefore, on the Holy Spirit to mold your character and to sanctify, that is, to make you holy. And, dear people, we need to understand this. Because the exercise towards holiness is also on a vertical level. But how, then, is this trust in God, how is this shown in our life? How is it shown in our life? How do we exercise it? Isn't it in the way in which we live in the sight of God and in the sight of man? Therefore, when the Apostle Paul says, Godliness is profitable for all things, he follows it up with the saying, Be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity, giving attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, meditate. Oh, wow, what exercises that is. How much engagement do we have to have here? And why does Paul say this? That your progress may be evident to all, that they may see you are advancing in your godliness. Everyone, God and all people, will know then that you all have been exercising towards such godliness. And if people cannot notice that on you, that you have been exercising toward godliness, then you must very seriously question 
whether you are spiritually alive in Christ. Because only a living, born-again person, as you've heard, only a living and born-again person will be able to exercise profitability towards godliness. This means only, it means that, that only a spirit-guided exercise will take you to such godliness, dear people. The Holy Spirit. Let me say it in this way. The Holy Spirit must be your coach as you engage in exercising towards godliness. The Holy Spirit, he must be, as it were, your advisor as you take care of your body, as you cope with illness, as you cope with infirmities of the body. Why? Because your body, dear brother or sister in the Lord, your body is, so we are told in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 90, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he knows best how and why we need to exercise towards godliness. The Holy Spirit, he is our strength, you see, as you exercise towards godliness. He will give you what you need in order to do those exercises. The Holy Spirit, you see, is, as it were, that still small voice inside of you. He will get your conscience actually to sound the alarm when, for instance, you start becoming lazy. He will make you feel rather very uncomfortable when you are beginning to cut corners when you should not do so. The Holy Spirit, you see, He gives you the wisdom and He will give you the stuff that builds good Christian character so that you learn to relate to others in a godly manner and how we need to learn this, don't we? Depend, therefore, much on the Holy Spirit to mold your character and to sanctify, that is, to make you holy in your relationship with others. Now, dear people, I cannot stress enough your need of the Holy Spirit as you exercise towards godliness. Do you seek His power? That is the power of the Spirit. Do you pray for His presence in all the ordinary things of life? Have you learned to listen to him? After all, he is your divine coach. And more than any earthly coach, he not only speaks words of encouragement and words of direction, but he also gives you the strength for those exercises, you see. He gives you the willpower and he gives you the desire to reach for that goal that is there ahead of you. And that goal, it is nothing less than the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come, as our text says in verse 8. Well, again, bodily exercise might promise health, but the exercise towards godliness is the most promising exercise, dear people. It holds the promise of life now and in continuation the promise of life to come. Therefore, is the exercise towards godliness not worth every effort on your and my part? It will be good for you, you see, because the goal is eternal life. It is a life that no jogger on earth can possibly reach just by jogging from street to street. It is a life that no athlete in a gymnasium can obtain by just being there. It is a life 
that only a born-again Christian can have, being trained by the Holy Spirit in exercising towards godliness. The promise, you see, the promise is for this life and it is for the life to come. It promises that all things will work together for good to those who love God, so we are told. All things, even the most difficult and the most hardest exercises, will work together for your and for my good. It is a life, you see, that the Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, and he did sacrifice himself for. He bled and he died on the cross so that you and I would have that life and that more abundantly as well. And believe this, dear people. Repent of any and of all the sins of ignoring and open confession and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him. Repent of any that you have not done so far in the exercises of godliness. Turn to the Lord God for help. Because through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will experience that the Lord Jesus Christ will equip you sufficiently and freely give you graciously and that without money and without price, all you need for exercising towards godliness. And therefore, as you do such exercises, sin-confessing, Christ-believing, spirit-guided, believing that the promises of God are true, you will not miss out on your reward at the end of your race on earth, and you will obtain that goal. Then life will be perfect hereafter when the Lord Jesus Christ takes you to be with him. And as you have looked forward to that, then you won't need to exercise towards godliness anymore because you will then have obtained it with the Lord. And therefore Paul, the Apostle Paul still adds yet, this is a faithful saying and is worthy of all acceptance. In other words, it needs to be preached. That is why I preached it. Believe the promises of life. Exercise towards godliness. And Jesus Christ will crown you with the gift of everlasting life. Then, then it will be sweet communion with the Lord whom you will constantly abide with. Amen. And we will sing that from number 73D. Number 73D.